What's the primary thing that shuts off fat burning? It's carbs, right? Or insulin? No. The primary thing that shuts off fat burning is whether the cell needs energy. Just as we saw last time how glycolysis is primarily regulated by the need for ATP, so is beta-oxidation of fatty acids. In the case of glycolysis, we were regulating specific enzymes. In the case of fatty acids, we're primarily regulating the transport of fatty acids into the mitochondrion. So let's just dig into it and take a look. Ketogenic diet has neurological benefits. Why do we have to eat such an enormous amount of food? The diagram on the screen shows the two mitochondrial membranes. Remember that when we talk about being inside the mitochondrion, we're talking about being in the matrix. And between the matrix and the cytosol are two membranes, the inner membrane and the outer membrane. Between those two membranes is the intermembrane space. When we talked about making ATP, we talked about one of the benefits of having two membranes is that if we want to concentrate hydrogen ions by pumping them across the membrane, and we want to have a very high concentration to store that energy, then it's much more efficient to concentrate them in a small space. If we had to concentrate them over a much larger space, because we didn't have that intermembrane space available, then we'd have to pour far more energy into increasing the concentration because there's so much free room for them to disperse. Second of all, hydrogen ions are acidic. We're making the intermembrane space very acidic. So acidic that other things in the cell wouldn't be able to tolerate that level of acidity. Therefore, we want a dedicated space to keep the acidity so it doesn't damage anything else. But when we look at transport, we can also characterize the dual membrane of the mitochondrion in the following way. The outer membrane can be controlled at a very general level to make the mitochondrion more or less permeable to incoming and outgoing things as a whole. And the inner membrane can have more specific control over the exact things that are coming in and out. One of the channels that is present at very high concentration in the outer mitochondrial membrane is the voltage-dependent anion channel. And VDAC is going to transport most substrates into the mitochondrion. These include ADP and phosphate, it includes creatine, and it includes most fatty acids. Some fatty acids that are short-chain fatty acids are so small that it's easy for them to cross the membrane. And then also there are small lipophilic molecules like gases, for example, molecular oxygen and carbon dioxide, that also easily cross the membrane by themselves. Most things go through VDAC, and that includes most fatty acids. Before a fatty acid can enter VDAC, it has to be joined to coenzyme A. 
So a fatty acid and coenzyme A become a fatty acyl CoA. This is energy intensive because we're making a high energy thioester bond. So it requires ATP. In fact, it's so energy intensive that instead of breaking apart ATP to ADP and phosphate, we break off two phosphoryl groups together, making AMP and pyrophosphate or diphosphate, shown here as PPI for inorganic pyrophosphate or two phosphoryl groups. This releases more energy than simply breaking off one of the phosphoryl groups. That energy is invested into the thioester bond and some is left over for a negative delta G to make the, the reaction energetically favorable. We would usually hydrolyze phosphate from ATP. We would usually join a fatty acid or any acyl group to coenzyme A through dehydration synthesis. Here, in net, what we have is essentially dehydration synthesis and hydrolysis. But we, what we have is, instead of the two of them happening in sequence, we have the OH group of the fatty acid and the H group of coenzyme A coming together to make what would be water if it left, but what is instead used to break apart the ATP molecule into AMP and pyrophosphate. When we do that, we have a fatty acyl CoA that fatty acyl CoA can then transport itself through VDAC into the intermembrane space. After the fatty acyl CoA goes through VDAC into the intermembrane space, now it encounters a specific transport system that is made for fatty acids or for acyl groups in general. The fatty acyl CoA has to be joined to carnitine. That happens through carnitine palmitoyl transferase 1, or CPT1, which is also called carnitine acyl transferase, because in fact, it doesn't just deal with palmitic acid, which is one example of a fatty acid, it deals with any of them. So the fatty acyl CoA joins with carnitine through CPT1 to trade the CoA for carnitine. The CoA goes free, and now we have a fatty acyl carnitine. The fatty acyl carnitine can then go through the carnitine acyl carnitine translocase. That's present in the inner mitochondrial membrane. It's called a translocase because it moves these things across the membrane, and it's called carnitine acyl carnitine because it can transport both free carnitine and acyl carnitines. So the fatty acyl carnitine comes into the mitochondrial matrix through this translocase. Then CPT2, carnitine palmitoyl transferase 2, also called carnitine acyl transferase 2, does the reverse exchange of what CPT1 did. CoA comes in, carnitine leaves, you have a fatty acyl CoA again, and you have free carnitine. The free carnitine goes back through carnitine-acyl-carnitine translocase into the intermembrane space so it can pick up another fatty acyl-carnitine. So the carnitine just cycles. It goes carnitine, fatty acyl-carnitine, fatty acyl-carnitine, carnitine. Back and forth, allowing the continued transport of fatty acyl-CoAs across the membrane. The fatty acyl-CoA can then go into beta-oxidation. As we talked about in lessons four and five, when cells have all the energy that they need, 
citrate accumulates in the mitochondrion and gets transported into the cytosol. That transport is the event that initiates fatty acid synthesis because citrate is the source of cytosolic acetyl-CoA. Whereas mitochondrial acetyl-CoA is used for energy breakdown, cytosolic acetyl-CoA is used for anabolic synthesis, including the synthesis of fatty acids. The first step in the conversion of acetyl-CoA into the pathway of fatty acid synthesis is its carboxylation to form malonyl-CoA. This is catalyzed by acetyl-CoA carboxylase, and like the other carboxylases within energy metabolism, it requires biotin as a cofactor. We've already talked about pyruvate carboxylase as another example, and this is distinguished from the carboxylation reactions that are catalyzed by enzymes that are dependent on vitamin K. And remember, in the case of vitamin K, these enzymes directly use carbon dioxide. In the case of biotin, they use bicarbonate, and that's exactly what we see here. If you look at the acetyl-CoA molecule, you'll see, shown in green, that all that's different about it is a carboxyl group has been added to it, shown in pink. This comes from carbon dioxide, which mixes with water to form carbonic acid, which yields bicarbonate. And in the exact manner analogous to what we saw in pyruvate carboxylase, this bicarbonate becomes the source of the carboxyl group in malonyl-CoA. That carbon dioxide does not stay there for long. To build two smaller molecules up into a larger molecule requires ATP. Like pyruvate carboxylase, acetyl-CoA carboxylase requires ATP. What happens during this carboxylation is the the carboxyl group that came from carbon dioxide stores that ATP energy so that it can be invested in the molecule for the end goal of synthesizing fatty acids, which of course is storing a lot of energy. As malonyl-CoA goes into fatty acid synthesis, that carbon dioxide quickly leaves during a decarboxylation step. Our primary goal is not to talk about fatty acid synthesis right now. We'll talk about energy storage in the last half of this course. The purpose here, however, is to note that malonyl-CoA is a critical intermediate that accumulates during conditions of fatty acid synthesis, which are conditions when you have more than enough energy. The reason it's so important to talk about malonyl-CoA during the regulation of fatty acid oxidation is because malonyl-CoA is not only a substrate for fatty acid synthesis, it's also a regulatory molecule. There are two isozymes, meaning different forms of the same enzyme, of acetyl-CoA carboxylase. Acetyl-CoA carboxylase 1 is in the cytosol, and the malonyl-CoA that it makes is for fatty acid synthesis. There's a second acetyl-CoA carboxylase called acetyl-CoA carboxylase 2, and it's present in the mitochondrion. It makes malonyl-CoA in the mitochondrion, and that serves the purpose of regulation. Acetyl-CoA carboxylase 1 and 2 are regulated by largely the same principles. So malonyl-CoA is a regulatory molecule, is carrying forth the same signals that malonyl-CoA in the cytosol is carrying forward to actually become incorporated into fatty acids. 
Whereas cytosolic malonyl-CoA is used directly for fatty acid synthesis, mitochondrial malonyl-CoA inhibits CPT1. If you inhibit CPT1, you inhibit the net transport of fatty acyl CoAs into the mitochondrion. So what you do is you take the governors of acetyl-CoA carboxylase activity and you translate those signals into number one, cytosolic acetyl-CoA carboxylase to make fatty acids, and to number two, mitochondrial acetyl-CoA carboxylase activity to shut down fat burning. Because if you're building up fatty acids and you're breaking them down at the same time, you're wasting enormous tons of energy in a futile cycle that accomplishes nothing. So if we want to know what blocks fat burning, we want to know what activates acetyl-CoA carboxylase activity. There are two principles involved. First of all, each subunit of the enzyme, shown as a purple circle, can either be unphosphorylated or phosphorylated. To the extent it's phosphorylated, it's less active. The second thing is that the resting state of this enzyme is to exist in dimers, which means two subunits connected together. When these come together to form polymers, that activates them. When you have polymers that are not phosphorylated, acetyl-CoA carboxylase is maximally active. When you have dimers that are phosphorylated, acetyl-CoA carboxylase is maximally shut off. There's two signals that govern these processes, one signal for each process. AMPK is the key governor of acetyl-CoA carboxylase phosphorylation. AMPK catalyzes that, so when AMPK is more active, you get more phosphorylation of acetyl-CoA carboxylase, shutting it down. By contrast, citrate makes inactive dimers come together to form active polymers. So you get the most acetyl-CoA carboxylase activity when you have low AMPK activity and lots of citrate. You get the least acetyl-CoA carboxylase activity when you have high AMPK activity and low citrate. Well, what governs AMPK and citrate? Things we've already talked about. AMPK, as we first talked about in lesson five, is primarily a monitor of the cellular energy status. ATP has a small inhibitory effect, and AMP has a huge stimulatory effect. When the cell is high in energy status, there's lots of ATP, little AMP, AMPK activity goes down. When the cell is deprived of energy, there's lots of AMP, very little ATP, AMPK goes up. What makes citrate accumulate? Remember, energy status inhibits isocitrate dehydrogenase and alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase. These make the metabolites of the citric acid cycle get backed up, and that leads to more citrate. So when the cell has too much energy, the energy accumulation leads to low AMPK activity and high citrate. These two together activate acetyl-CoA carboxylase II, which is the mitochondrial isozyme. That produces mitochondrial malonyl-CoA, and mitochondrial malonyl-CoA shuts down CPT1. The shutdown of CPT1 blockades mitochondrial fatty acid uptake, and that stop 
that's put to beta oxidation, to fatty acid transport into the mitochondrion, is what becomes the limiting factor that shuts off fat burning. So, what's the key thing that shuts down fat burning? Yes, insulin plays a role, and we'll start talking about insulin in the next lesson. But the key primary regulator at the cellular level of what shuts down fat burning is the energy status of the cell. If the cell needs more energy, it lets more fatty acids into the mitochondrion to break them down to get that energy. If the cell does not need energy or has too much energy, it shuts down the transport of fatty acids into the mitochondrion. And that, at the cellular level, is what shuts down fat burning. So again, when we start thinking about what do I need to do to lose weight? What do I need to do to burn this fat? We need to be primarily thinking about total energy. The audio of this lesson was generously enhanced and post-processed by Bob Devodian of Torian Mixing, giving you strong sound and dependable quality. You can find more of his work at torianonlinemixing.com. To continue watching these lessons, you can find them on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash chrismasterjohn, or on my Facebook at facebook.com slash chrismasterjohn, or you can sign up for NWM Pro. To get early access to content, enhanced keyword searching, self-pacing tools, downloadable audio and transcripts, a rich array of hyperlinked further reading suggestions, and a community with a form for each lesson. So if you really want to own these lessons, study them, and get the most out of them, sign up for MWM Pro at chrismasterjohnphd.com pro. All right, I hope you found this useful. Signing off, this is Chris Masterjohn of chrismasterjohnphd.com. You've been watching Masterclass with Masterjohn, and I will see you in the next lesson.